The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. My name is John. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're here uh, this Sunday with us. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 15 so you can follow along with us. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's an app on your smartphone or tablet called Uversion, and all of the verses that we're going to be reading through today and talking about uh, are in that app, and I encourage you um, to, to find that if, if you want to follow along in that way. One of the things that we, that we started doing last week and we'd, we need some feedback on is we're thinking about uh, are we going to do study guides again and resource guides again going into 2023 is we're trying, to, we're trying to figure out how people access their Bible on Sunday morning. So if you filled one of these out last week, you, we're not asking you to do it again, um, but if you did not fill one of these out last week, uh, we ask you to please do that and then just drop it in one of the wooden boxes on your way out of the auditorium this morning. Basically, we're just asking you to rank which of these kinds of resources do you prefer to use on a Sunday morning. And again, as we're just thinking about how we want to uh, resource our body in 2023, um, this will help us do that. So last week in our, in our elders meeting, um, the very first thing we talked about was, was this concept of preferences like we discussed last Sunday. We said there are three, three kinds of ways that we tend to approach uh, the Christian life. We look at things like um, essentials. These are the things that matter the most. So the deity of Christ, um, the fact that Jesus died um, was buried and was resurrected three days later. Those are, those are essentials. And then we talked about convictions and preferences. And convictions are things that we feel strongly about, but they don't necessarily hit the level of essential. So as a, for instance, uh, one of the things that, that we've had in our elders meeting conversationally over the last several weeks is we believe that taking um, communion on a weekly basis is actually a conviction. Okay, when we read the Bible, we see that we're supposed to take conviction do, or take communion, do this in remembrance of me. That's an essential. But the way we practice communion here at Westway is a conviction. It's weekly. That's our conviction. And then we talked about preference. Um, and a preference is do we pass trays or do we use the little tear-off cups? Like, what, like how practically um, do we do that? And in each one of these tiers, there's lots of conversation. And our conversation last week was, um, well, what about the times when we impose our preferences as a church? How do we impose our preferences as a church. And one of the ways in, in the midst of this conversation that we sort of impose our preference is the translation of the Bible that we use. Um, I use the New Living Translation. Most of the, I think pretty much any time anyone else speaks from the front, unless they're doing a communion meditation, um, we use the New Living Translation. Um, that's a preference. You don't have to use the New Living Translation. I used this as an example last week in my message. You can follow along in whatever translation you like. But the preference is for me that the New Living Translation, and the reason for that is, is I believe that it is an easy to read text and an easily understood text. Because not everyone is as familiar with the Bible, maybe as we would like for them to be. So one of the things that we try and do, and this, is, this, kind, of flows, um, this kind of flows convictionally, actually, uh, this preference flows out of a conviction. We want to be able to teach from the Bible. 
We want people to read and understand the Bible. So what we try to do is we try to make it easy for them to do that. And I believe, preference, um, that the NLT is a great way to do that. And you don't have to agree with me. You can use a different translation if you like. That's the way this works. Um, and several years ago when I was in student ministry, I came across this quote. And it's by a guy named Mark DeVries who's, um, who's written a lot of student ministry books, family ministry books. And he said something really interesting. Um, I don't remember if it was in a book or someplace on social media. He said, adults must be willing to be disproportionately inconvenienced on behalf of the next generation. Adults must be willing to be disproportionately inconvenienced on behalf of the next generation. See, I think it's not just adults who need to be willing to be disproportionately um, inconvenienced on the behalf of the next generation. I think Christians ought to be willing to be disproportionately inconvenienced on behalf of those who don't know Jesus. See, for us as followers of Christ, when we come into contact with people who don't know who Jesus is, we must be willing to be inconvenienced on their behalf. We must be willing to subordinate the things that, um, not essentials, not essentials, but things like convictions and preferences, we are called to be disproportionately inconvenienced on behalf of those who don't know Jesus. Well, where does that come from? I'm glad you asked. Here's Romans 15, verses 1 to 6. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like these. Now, if you remember back to chapter 14, he was talking about food. He was talking about days of the week. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what's right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Mark DeVries is essentially saying the exact same thing. We who are mature, and I, and I said last week that there was kind of this implication at the beginning of chapter 14, that, that of course he was talking to the people who were mature in the room. And for most of us, we tend to think that we are the mature ones in the room. If there's a preference or a conviction, we tend to think that we know better than everyone else. We tend to think that we are the mature one. And in Mark, or excuse me, in Romans 15, uh, Paul is not implying anything. He's being overt. He's saying we who are strong, we who are mature, we who know better, we must take into account the sensitivity of other people when it comes to these kinds of things. We who are strong must not just live to please ourselves. The Christian life, what Paul is saying, is, is it's not about you. 
The Christian life is not about me. See, the Christian life is about the worship and praise of God. That's, that's what this is about. And it's, it's our responsibility to teach other people. It's our responsibility as Christians to love other people. And if you want to know what that doesn't look like, try to be the Holy Spirit for someone else. Try to convict someone else of their sin. That doesn't mean we shouldn't teach truth. It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about the love of Jesus Christ. But it means that we're not the Holy Spirit for other people. It's our role and it's our job to love other people, to serve other people, to teach other people the scripture so that they would be convicted by those words. Our job is not to be the Holy Spirit for other people. And our example here is Jesus, according to Paul. And I want you to think for a second of all of the people who've ever lived in the history of the world, of all of the people, doesn't Jesus, wouldn't Jesus have had the right to live to please himself? Of all of the people who've ever lived, of anyone who could actually live to please himself, that person would be Jesus. And instead, what Jesus does is he gives up his, he gives up that connection to God to become a human being. That's Philippians chapter 2. He gives, he gives himself up. He sacrifices his preferences. He sacrifices his rights as God. And this is our example because we are not God. We did not have this closeness to God that he did. And we are to give of ourselves. We are to sacrifice of ourselves. And I think the problem for, for many of us, and, and, and this certainly, like I'm in this category, category, like I tend to think that I can't ever give up a preference. I want to cling so tightly to the things that I prefer. And what we're being told here in this text is we're to sacrifice them for other people so that other people would know the reality of who Jesus is. And that word sacrifice is the one that Paul used in Romans chapter 12. He says we are to, to sacrifice our bodies. And that's, that's not an empty word. It's not a hollow word. It, it has meaning. It has a purpose. The example that we see of sacrifice in Scripture is, again, Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave his body. He gave his blood for those who did not know him. I would say that of all the people who've ever lived, Jesus was disproportionately inconvenienced for the sake of others. Wouldn't you? Jesus was disproportionately inconvenienced for the sake of other people. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just a little bit unfair. It was completely unfair. Here's this person who did not sin. This is an essential for us as Christians. Here's this person who did not sin, who went to the cross for me who did sin. Now that doesn't sound very fair. That doesn't, that doesn't sound very, very proportionate. But Jesus was willing to be disproportionately inconvenienced in the hopes that not just one person, like one person, that, that would maybe be one thing. Jesus was disproportionately inconvenienced for the sake of every person. Of every person who ever lived. Jesus, when he came to earth, he gave up everything. And our sacrifice 
The cost for us as followers of Christ, as people who, who want to be obedient to him, ought to be the same thing. And the good news is, we're not being asked to go to the cross. We're not being asked to, to literally give our blood for the gospel. What are we being asked to do? What is God asking us to do? What is Paul asking us to do? He's asking us to sacrifice. And what's, what's interesting about these first few verses um, is Paul says something strange quoting the Old Testament. He says, um, The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why, why would we draw encouragement from the suffering of other people? Like we re, go back, we read, the, we read the Old Testament, we see how the, the prophets suffered for being faithful to God, and we're supposed to be encouraged by that. We're supposed to take joy in that. Why, why is that? Why would we take joy in the suffering of other people? We had this conversation a couple weeks in our small group and we were talking about just how we interacted with other people uh, who, weren't, who weren't Christians. And, and someone was talking about someone that they have in their life that whenever someone shares, I'm a Christian with this person, this other person um, almost always says, well, how's that working out for you? And as kind of people started talking about that and, and talking around that statement, um, we, tend to, we tend to talk about how it works out for us in like the joy and the hope and the peace and the comfort that we find in Jesus Christ. And those are, those are true things, right? How, how's that working out for you? Well, I have peace in my life. I have joy in my life. I have hope in my life. When I face a hardship, I know that there's someone I can, I can pray to who can identify with me. And those are all true things. But as I was sitting there in our living room, I got to think to myself, okay, but what about Paul? What was, what was the cost of Paul to become a Christian? Like when I think about the Apostle Paul, I think about the person who was the Hebrew of Hebrews and the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he studied under, studied under the right person, and he kept the law. He was, he was blameless. He was perfect, right? He was the guy that if Paul was in your Bible study and you kind of got to that, that stuck point where you weren't sure um, what you should ask next or what you should say next, like everyone would turn to Paul. And Paul's conversion to Christianity absolutely gave him peace and joy and hope and comfort, and it wrecked his life. All of the things that Paul had when he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, like he was leading a pretty good life, and it wrecked Paul's life. Becoming a Christian ruined Paul's life. Making this sacrifice that he is now calling the church at Rome to wrecked his life. I would encourage you, I put in the, in the YouVersion um, event today, you should read 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 28 to see the cost of Paul's obedience. And this got me, this got me thinking like, well, has my life been wrecked because of the gospel? Again, I get it. Peace, joy, hope, 
comfort. Those things are all true. Those things are all wonderful. But as, as, we, read through, as we read through the book of Acts, what we see is people who are transformed by Jesus Christ, they actually have their lives ruined. It comes at great cost to them. And I'm not so sure that I've actually paid a cost. It's been on my mind since Wednesday. What cost have I paid? And I'm not so sure. I wonder what your answer would be. What, what has your sacrifice cost? And then Paul says that this, this hope and encouragement comes, comes from these scriptures that give us that and they come from God. And as I process that, I think like our hope and our encouragement doesn't come from our circumstances. And I think that's been a little bit of a, of a repeat over the past few series that we've done here at Westway Christian Church. It's not just because I don't know what to talk about. It's because it's what's in the Bible. Like our hope and our encouragement doesn't come from our circumstances. And this catches so many of us as Christians. Something bad happens and we don't, we don't know what to do. And then we, we spiral out of control because, because we somehow think that our relationship with God is connected with our circumstances. And when circumstances go bad, we begin to wonder, am I out of sorts with God? What did I do wrong? And our circumstances aren't dependent in that way. And I think this is why, why so many Christians, when, when they face hardships... And I get it. I don't know what your hardship is. I can tell you about mine over the last couple years. I have told you about mine over the last few years. But this is where we tend to get tripped up when we place our hope and our trust in those circumstances. And what God wants us to do is, is, is find meaning and purpose in him. And this is what the mature Christian does. This is what the person who ought to know better does is they look to God for their joy. See, what Paul is saying in just these first few verses is that, is that we are not going to find meaning and purpose when we only live to please ourselves. That might last for a little while. It might feel really good for a little while, but, it, but it, like, a, like a bridge that's built on a poor foundation, it can't bear the weight of reality. It's only going to last so long. And I know some of you have experienced that truth in your own life. See, what he's saying here is, is we need to live for God. We need to live for others. We need to subordinate our own preferences and our own, our own convictions for the good of other people. Because we're the ones who know better. So I shouldn't cling to my preference so tightly. And what's so neat about this is the purpose of the unity that Paul is talking about in these verses. Um, it's more than just about like our own unity of purpose. It's about the praise and glory of God. We talked about that before. We talked about how Romans chapter 1 talks about that. When we live in a unified way, what happens is God is praised and God is glorified. Our unity brings God glory. It brings him honor. It brings him praise. And if we're not careful, we will we'll degenerate into little segments. And this, is, and this is something that we see churches do. Like, 
We, well, we know there's a certain group of people who like traditional music styles. We know there's a certain group of people who like contemporary music styles. So let's have two different services. How many times have we talked about that's not what Paul is talking about in Romans? Again, it would be easy for Paul to tell the Jewish believers, you know what, why don't you guys just go meet at this house, have a Jewish Christian service, and you guys, Gentiles, go meet at this person's house and have a Gentile Christian service, and everybody will be happy. That's not what Paul says. We have to ask ourselves, why doesn't Paul say that? Because he wants them to be unified. Because unity brings God glory. Unity honors God. The ability of people to set aside their preferences glorifies God. Let's read verses 7 to 13. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. There it is. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope on him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Do you catch that? He's not praying that they will find their peace and their joy in their circumstances, but that they will see it in God. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, then when we face consequences, we face hardships. We're able to look to God and say, God is stronger than my circumstance. God is stronger than my hardship. It's one of the things I so hope you will grasp from this series together. I love these verses. How did Jesus accept the Christians in Rome? Well, he accepted the Jews by serving them and demonstrating that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. If we were to go back to the Old Testament, we'd see promise after promise after promise after promise of the coming Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them. The person of Jesus fulfilled those promises. So when the Jews hear all of these stories, like their, their brain should be cued like, oh yeah, that was that promise. I remember that verse. I remember that scripture. I remember when someone was talking about that in synagogue one day. Do you see how Jesus fulfilled all of these things? But it wasn't just for the Jews, Paul says. He came for the Gentiles as well by being merciful to them, by allowing them to participate in this rescue. Also, just as God had presented in the Old Testament. See, we have these examples right here. These are all Old Testament verses that Paul is quoting. Paul is quoting the Old Testament to give hope to the Gentiles. You're in this too. Jews, you're in this. Gentiles, you're in this. You're in this together. Your job is to be united together. Your job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And when you do this, God's going to be glorified. It's going to be hard. There are going to be, there are going to be some gatherings you're not going to want to go to. 
Because if you're a Gentile, maybe you know this Jewish person is going to speak. And if you're a Jew, maybe you know this Gentile person is going to speak. And maybe you don't want to go hear that person because you can't believe all they're going to talk about is all the freedom they have in Christ because they're a Gentile. You must be willing to be disproportionately inconvenienced for the sake of others. Because there's maybe a Gentile, and this is, this is like really weird for us to think about. Maybe there's a Gentile who needs to hear that he has freedom in Christ. Maybe there's a Jew, when a Jew speaks, that needs to hear that there is a purpose for the law, and that's to point people to Jesus. And what would it be like to be a Jew or a Gentile in that situation and subordinate yourself for the fact that maybe, maybe today's message isn't for you and maybe it's for someone else. But because this is, this is my body, this is the group of believers that I'm committed to, I'm going to go anyway because somebody else needs to hear that message. So this is practical subordination for the good of other people. These things are meant to give us hope and encouragement that God always keeps his promises. So again, when we're, when we're facing a circumstance and we're facing a hardship, we should be able to look to the promises in the Old Testament, see how Jesus fulfills them, and then we should think, and it shouldn't be that difficult of a line to draw, that maybe God is going to be faithful to me too. In fact, he will be faithful to me. And I want to live in that comfort and I want to live in that hope and I want to trust that promise. And no matter how bad this circumstance is, I'm going to trust in God. I don't care what the circumstance says. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how hard it is. I know that God is a promise keeper. And when he says this and I see that he's fulfilled it, he's going to fulfill that in my own life. God is out to renew and transform our minds. And that will only happen, it will only happen when we set aside our preferences for his good. See, when we hear the gospel spoken over us, when we hear the gospel taught to us, we have a choice. I can continue in my preference or I can submit to what God is calling me to. Like those are the only two choices. And to live in our preference is a demonstration of the fact that we like, don't just not believe the word, but we don't trust the word and we don't trust God. Because if God knew what my preference was, and, and if he knew why I had my preference, like he'd be okay with me doing this thing. I know we would never say that, right? But certainly we've all thought, well, if God really knew my circumstance, he would do this thing. And this is what we need to be reminded of. This is verses 14 through 16. I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach others all about them. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that you all need, that knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I'm a special messenger from the from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you to the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. See, I don't think, unless you are, unless you're a new Christian, 
I don't think that anything that we have talked about in the last 16 weeks, I don't think any of it's new. Like I'm that confident in the gospel that, that you have been preached and taught. Whether it's here at Westwood Christian Church for, for decades or at other churches, like I'm, I'm confident in the gospel that's been taught to you. I'm, I'm joining Paul and saying, I, th- I think you get this. I think you hear it. I think you know it. I think you desire to live it. And what I think is we all just need to be reminded about it every once in a while. We need to be reminded of it. We need to hear it. We need to be made uncomfortable by it. Because just like every other thing, as as time goes on, we tend to get more and more comfortable. We tend to get more and more complacent. And then we hear some of the things that Paul's saying, and we're like shocked for a second. And then if we think about it, we're like, yeah, I really knew that. Yeah, you know, I kind of know I'm supposed to love other people. Anybody know they're supposed to just love other people? Right? We just know that. Why is it so hard? Then what's the big deal? Like, I'll bet if we were to just go out and not even talk to Christians and just say, how many people think they're supposed to love other people? I'm pretty confident, like, the vast majority of people in the United States would say, yeah, I think we should. And then here's the question, well, then why don't we? Well, because we have these preferences and we have these convictions and we have this complacency and we forget. Anne and I watched this documentary um, last week. It was on the Iranian hostage crisis. Who remember? Let me just look at, now I want you to all, who remembers the Iranian hostage crisis? Right? So late 70s, the, the Iranian revolution takes place. These students go in and they take over the American embassy in Tehran. Um, they were held hostage for 444 days. I like tie yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Like we had yellow ribbons in my elementary school when I was growing up. Um, as, as they were showing it, they talked about how all the people wrote letters to the hostages. I remember doing that. I think I was in the fifth grade, right? And they were talking, this documentary was about that. And the second night, they, they, they went back and they interviewed um, a cross-section of people in the United States. And they had all of these different um, different like speeches and messages from, from politicians and, and people in power in the United States. And the thing that struck me the most was how unified everybody was. Like they couldn't believe the hostages did this. And then of course there was the, and America should just, you know, go bomb them. Like those were, that was like the same theme in everyone. And this was a cross section of people. It didn't matter what race they were. It didn't matter what gender they were. And I looked at Anne and I said, today, do you think it would be the exact same thing? And she said, there's no way. Like it was crazy the amount of unity that people in the country showed. See, we can become complacent. We can become comfortable. We need something to shock us. This is a reminder because it's easy to get off track. And what our culture does is, is we promote self as our highest authority. This is what our culture tells us. This is what our media tells us. You're in charge of your life. No one else is in charge of your life. You're in charge of your life. 
And for thousands of words now, what Paul has been doing is he's been, he's been reminding them of God's purpose and their mission. Because they're in Rome, and they've welcomed these Jewish believers, but, well, they really haven't welcomed. The Jewish believers came back, and they haven't welcomed them. And basically what Paul is saying to the Gentiles is you need to do the same things to them that they did to you. When you became a Christian, you need to welcome them. You need to love them. You need to, to serve them. And then in verses 17 through 24, Paul says this. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Do you see that? See Paul's humility here? It's not about me, it's about what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who, will never, who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. See, Paul's mission is to the Gentiles. This is the sole purpose of his life. Everything around Paul's life is oriented around teaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Everything in his life is oriented around teaching the message to the Gentiles. Telling the message of good news to people who've never heard it before. And see, what Paul knows is simple. If he doesn't go and tell the Gentiles about the good news of Jesus Christ, here's an essential. If Paul doesn't go and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, if they never hear the message, that when they die, they're going to be separated from God. They're going to go to hell. Like that's the, that's the, that's the bottom line. That's Paul's motivation. If I don't go, if, if I don't go and do this, if I don't teach people the gospel, they're going to go to hell. See, Paul actually believed this. He oriented his entire life around this. This wrecked his life. He could have been Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees. The person that everyone paid attention to in Bible study. Instead, he went to go and tell people a message that they're sinners, that they need to repent. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You're going to be separated from God. In the middle of last week's Bible reading plan, like I was having a good week until I hit this, the, this week, this Wednesday of the Bible reading plan. I read this. This is Matthew 25, 46. And they'll go away into eternal punishment. This is Revelation 21, 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. See, I was having a pretty good week until I read those couple verses. And then I thought to myself, um, you know, I think my problem is, I don't, know that, I don't know that I believe this is true. Don't get me wrong. Intellectually, I believe this is true. I believe that what the Bible says about people who reject Christ is true. 
but I'm not so sure that I'm living my life in that way. I'm not so sure that I'm acting like I believe these words are true. And those are two very different things for us as Christians. See, Paul actually believed it was true and it changed his life. And my, my concern, and this is my concern for me, it's my concern for you, it's, it's my concern for us as a church. My concern is if we place our preferences and our convictions over real people, when we in our own maturity place our own way over the legitimate wants and needs of people who don't know Christ, I think what we may be doing is consigning them to an eternity of hell. When we make the things that we do about us and we are unwilling to share the gospel in a way that they can understand, when we are unwilling to give up our own preferences, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, that whole eternity thing, sorry. But this thing whatever your thing is, is more important to me. It's more important that I hold on to my preference than I actually do something that might lead you to accepting the good news of Jesus Christ. And this has been on my heart all week long. We're saying that like a song choice or, or a Bible translation or the, the location of the communion table or the way we do communion, like when we put that preference above someone else and we refuse to bend, if we refuse to break, do we really care about the eternal destination or is it just more about, well, I just have to go to a place where I can hear the music I like and I get a good cup of coffee and as long as I keep doing it my way, then everything's cool. This is, if my life has been wrecked, it's honestly, it's started this week in this text. And maybe, maybe this is a little strong. Maybe you feel like this is a little strong. Like when I wrote this whole thing out, I, I like, honestly, I shut my laptop um, and I pretty much texted Cody almost right away and said, hey, th- I'm feeling uncertain about the message on Sunday. So I want you to, I want you to read this. Tell me what you think. And he's like, well, no, I think it's what needs to be said. So we need, to, we need to have our preferences challenged and we need to understand that the reason that our preferences need to be challenged is so that other people can know who Jesus is. So that they can have the love and the joy and the peace and the comfort that you have and so that their lives will be wrecked by Jesus. So that our lives will be wrecked. Because for some of us to give up our preferences, that's going to wreck your life means you're going to have to subordinate yourself to someone else. And as I'm writing this, I, like, I was overwhelmed with shame and embarrassment over how often I so little care about people who don't know who Jesus is. So I was thinking about that. I thought like here in a few, it's usually happened once by now. But over the next few weeks, it's going to be cold. We're going to get snow on the ground. And what's going to happen is, is I'm going to hit a patch of ice some morning when I'm driving, right? And what I usually do when I hit a patch of ice, 
I slow down and I put my blinkers on. Like that's just kind of what I do. Because I want to let other people know around me that like maybe the road is unsafe and they should slow down. Of course they don't, right? But like there are so many ways that we demonstrate concern for other people in our lives. Don't run with scissors. Don't play with that knife. Don't touch that stove. There are so many ways that we show concern for other people. And I'm not so sure that I communicate my concern for their soul in the same way. Because I just don't know if it's important. Do you? How do we respond in all of this? Am I living a life marked by my preference and privilege, safe and secure in my own salvation? Or am I living a life of, of sacrifice and cost that others might know Jesus? Last week in Romans 14, we read, if you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. James says, if, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. See, caring more about ourselves than others is a sin. And it's something that we must repent of. This is something that I have to repent of. Like, I got to deal with this. It's God's mission for us to seek and save the lost. That's why we're here. It's the only reason we're here. I like the coffee on Sunday morning. It's not why I'm here. We're here to seek and save the lost. A couple weeks ago during our team leader team train, um, two people were sitting at a table together and I heard one of them say this. This was a quote she had heard from someone else. Um, this is the quote. If we fail the lost, they go to hell. If we fail other believers, they just go to another church. If we fail the lost, they go to hell. If we fail other believers, and by fail other believers, if we, if we don't cater to their preferences, like, we can all just go to another church, right? So we have a choice as Christians. What are we going to cling to? What are we going to hold on to? What are we going to let go of? And again, this isn't about essentials. This is about the things that so often we make essentials that are not. When I initially planned out this message, my, my goal was to read all the way through Romans 15. I'm going to overview it for you, and then I'm going to tell you why. See, Paul wants to go to Rome. He wants to come and visit them, but first he has, he has this money that he has to deliver to the church at Jerusalem. The believers in Macedonia and Achaia, who were extremely poor, by the way, they, they were generous in their poverty, and they raised all of this money, and they gave it to Paul so he could take it to Jerusalem. 
Paul writes this, they were glad to do this, make the sacrifice, because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles receive the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. See, I plan to talk about how, how the least we can do as Christians, like the lowest hanging fruit in, in proclaiming the gospel and seeing to it that the gospel is proclaimed. Like the lowest hanging fruit, the least we can do is give financially generously. Like that's the least we can do. I was going to talk about giving and generosity. I was going to talk about how it's something that we can all do. So I'm kind of talking about it without talking about it. As I'm thinking about all of those things, I, I remembered a verse. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Paul says this. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, here's... Here's the reality. We can give and we can be generous, but not at the expense of loving other people. We can give and we can be generous, but it's not a replacement for love. Our giving doesn't replace the love that we are to have for other people. And this honestly leaves me very dissatisfied today. I'm very disoriented by, by Paul's message, by this message. And if there's, if there's one thing I've learned in my, in my years, my maturity as a Christian, when I'm feeling disoriented and confused, it's often because I'm clinging to a preference. It's often because what God is doing is he is convicting me of my sin. And if you're feeling disoriented and confused today, what I would encourage you to do is the thing that I've been doing all week and this has been on my mind is repenting of my sin. Repenting of my preference. Repenting of the convictions that I've hold that I've allowed to get in the way of loving other people. I believe this is what you are called to do. The only way to fix the tension is to allow Jesus to fix it. And if we hear this and we just, okay, yeah, yeah, we just tamp it down in our brain and we'll get to it later, it's going to come back. It's going to come back worse. Sin always does that, doesn't it? Always comes back worse. I'm going to pray. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Point out anything in us that offends you and lead us along the path of everlasting life. God, forgive us when we do not love, when we fail to serve, when we choose ourselves and our own ways over others. Cause us to find our hope and encouragement in you and not in our circumstances. Help us to demonstrate unity that we might praise and worship you alone. Remind us of your gospel and our mission.
Forgive us when we ignore spiritual realities. Give us the desire to speak the truth to others in a way that loves them, serves them, honors them, and calls them to repentance. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.